room and say, oh yeah, by the way, uh, you know, live Adam. He breathed into Adam. Man and woman were created for intimacy. What happens? Intimacy, this is the gospel. Intimacy was lost in the garden. Adam decided he didn't want to be intimate with the Lord. He wanted his way more than he wanted his own way. And so he went his own way. And in the process, intimacy with God was broken. Intimacy with his creator and with his heavenly father was broken. And we all inherit that. And so when Adam and Eve lost their intimacy with the father, we lost, we as a people, we as a species, we not only lost our relationship with God, we lost our knowledge of God, we lost our knowledge of who we are, we lost all sense of purpose, we became lost in relationships, we are lost in the uttermost. Mankind is hopeless and helpless without Jesus, utterly lost, incapable of saving themselves, nothing but a pattern of destruction and failure follows mankind as we follow our own way without the Lord. It's evident. Intimacy, when a man lost his intimacy in the garden, he lost his identity, he lost his authority, and he lost his purpose. One of the stories, there's a, something called a narrative. So one of the narrative threads or the story threads of the Bible is the restoration of intimacy. So four pillars of the Bible. So if you want to understand what the concepts of the scriptures are, there's creation, there's the fall. So we have the concept of created order, how God intended it to be. We have the fall, sin, and all of the consequences of sin and what that means. Then we have the process of redemption, which is why Jesus came, what the Lord was doing in the Old Testament and how it relates to redemption, what the cross means as far as redemption, and now what our role is in this process of redemption. And then the last piece is the restoration of all things, and that ultimately is when the Lord returns what the world is going to be and what the world is going to look like. Those are the transitions of the scripture. Those are the intents, and everything that's going on within the Bible relates to one or more of those stories. It's either revealing sin, revealing created purpose, revealing the process of redemption, or it's prophetically calling out the renewal of all things. So that's how your Bible works. And so one of the, the threads within the scripture is the restoration of intimacy. Everything God was doing, it was to bring mankind back to himself so that he could have intimacy with the Lord. The culture of the kingdom is a culture of his presence. The culture of the kingdom is a culture of intimacy. So what we often see is while we worship the Lord, we often worship him from afar. And there's not the degree of intimacy that the Bible is calling for. We see that often. We often see people running from God because they think God's going to get them. God's going to always tell people, if God's going to get you, he'd already have you. You know, wouldn't, be, wouldn't even be a challenge. If God wanted, you know, I don't want to go to church. If God's, if God's after me, I don't know. If God's going to get me. If God's going to get you, he'd already have you. You know, and the walls of the church will fall down if I walk in. You ever heard that? I've heard that. You know, well, the walls are still standing. Jesus still loves you. It's all good. So man was created. So let's say this with me. I was created by... An intimate God. I was created for intimacy with Him. And I am to live from that intimate relationship. That intimate relationship essentially means that God knows everything about you. He already knows. And yet we hide from Him. This is what prevents, what are the barriers to intimacy? Our, the barriers to intimacy are our own guilt, our own shame, our own fear of what we actually have going on in our life as if God doesn't know. And so even as believers, oftentimes we do not allow the Lord into certain areas of our life. We'll allow him into certain, to only to a certain place. We'll worship him only to a certain degree. We don't go all in because we don't want the Lord to come in and discover all of the dark little shadows within, our, within our, ourselves. 
And Jesus already knows it's there. And when the Lord comes into the house, he cleans out closets. Huh? Or garages. Or storage units. <laughs> what do you got in a storage unit, Kevin? He's going to pull it all out. And the reason that he's pulling it out is so that he wants to take away the things that prevent intimacy with him. He wants to reveal attitudes, actions, guilts, shames, burdens, pains, hurts, all of the things that we carry. And those things that we carry ultimately are barriers to intimacy. We have a belief system oftentimes that we've adopted, maybe that's been taught to us, that prevents us from being intimate with the Lord. And so when we, when we draw near to the Lord, God exposes things within our life. Say this with me. Never to shame me. Always to honor me. When the Lord is exposing something, it's never for shame. Ever. He doesn't shame you. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When the Lord says, look, your attitude's off over here. Let's deal with the attitude. It's not to shame you and go, oh, you pathetic person. If you were a better Christian, you wouldn't have this attitude. That's, that's an accuser. So that's not the spirit of God. That's a devil, right? You say, it sounds like God. Well, duh, he can masquerade as an angel of light. So what we have to learn is our Father's voice. The Lord is never condemning you. Never. There is no condemnation on any level. And while the Lord may convict you, he is not condemning you. And what does it mean convicting? He'll show you that that's wrong. And he'll bring about an understanding that what you're doing is wrong or right. Because he not only convicts of wrong, he convicts of righteousness. What is right, he'll show you that, he'll prove to you what's right. But the reason that he's doing that is never to harm you. Ever. Has nothing to do with harming you. It always is to elevate you and always to raise you higher and help you move things out of your life that's preventing him to having, having a deeper relationship with him. It's very important. You can go all in with Jesus. We teach the Christian to only go so far. That's what we do. We don't, you've got to go all in, man. You've got to go all in. We're really good at faking it. <laughs> Christians should be actors, man. Every Academy Award winner up that, gets a, that, gets that, that gets that trophy. They should be a Christian because, man, we're super good actors. You know, that's true. We're, we pretend, you know. I always tell Christians, we're people of truth. We shouldn't be afraid of truth, you know, because we're under the umbrella of love. There is no guilt, shame, or any of that does not exist within the realm of love. The Bible says if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart, and he already knows. So why would you not allow him into areas of, his, of your life that he already knows? He already knows. He probably knows more about the situation than you do. And by allowing him to work with you and come into these areas of your life, you're actually going to be free. You're actually going to have greater and greater and greater understanding and greater and greater and greater freedom by allowing the Lord to come in. And so what often happens is that when light exposes, people run. Light's intended to expose. That's what light does. It exposes. And we don't treat that as a normalcy within the, within the church. We see stains on each other, and we, oh, there's something wrong with you, something wrong with you. Not me, I got my white shirt on. Oh, really? Let's, let's put a black light on it and see. You ever notice that? You ever put a black light on something? Things that you never thought were there, all of a sudden they're there, you know? <laughs> they got a light for everything. That's how they find germs. Let's turn the green light on. Oh, we got germs all over the place. You might not see it with white light, yeah, but if you put the right amount of light on there, you're going to see what's really in the room. And we should be okay with that. We should be, it's, not, it's not an acceptance. It's just a reality. This is where I'm at, but this is not who I'm, oh, I'm, who I'm becoming. So we get that? So what happens in the garden, Adam and Eve fell. They pushed away from God's intimacy. The Bible says it uses the word offense, and the word offend is to push away. And so they pushed God away, and in pushing God away, there was an offense. 
An offense was created. A separation was created because Adam said, I don't need you. I can be, do this on my own. And he created that offense and that separation. And when they did that, they immediately hid themselves. Tells us in Genesis 3.8. But what did they hide themselves from? The presence of the Lord God. So they didn't just hide themselves from God. They hide them, hid themselves from his presence. The very thing that they were created for is what they hid themselves from. They hid themselves from intimacy. You understand this? So not only is the unbeliever running from God, the Christian is hiding themselves from the Lord. We're still hiding ourselves from intimacy with the Father. We pretend like we're not, but we really are. We really do. We, anybody know what I'm talking about? We still hide areas of our life as if we don't know. And then what it uses here is it uses they hid themselves from the intimacy with the Lord God. The Lord God is a phrase that's used a lot in the Old Testament. You see it all the time. The Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. And often the most common use of the word Lord God in the Hebrew is Adonai Elohim. So in other words, Lord Adonai, which means benefactor. The benefactor, Elohim, means the one who's in supreme authority, the one who's in control. My benefactor, the one who's in supreme control. That's how it's used. But it's used differently here in the book of Genesis. It uses not the word Adonai, but it uses the word Yahweh. So you say, well, what's so important with that? Yahweh is the Lord's most intimate name. The only, that is a covenant name that is given only to his people. Angels don't address God by Yahweh, ever. There's angels talking in the Bible a lot, and they always use the word Lord or God, and they never use Yahweh, ever. The most common word when the angels describe God is Elohim. They know him as that dude who is in absolute power. They know him as the one who sits upon the throne. They do not know his heart. They do not know his methods. They do not know his ways. That is given only to this race of beings. That's you and I. Angels do what they're told, period. They're created in an order and a structure, and they are created as commanded to be servants of the kingdom. They're under authority. That's all they do. They do what they're told. Boom. Different aspects of who they are, but they're not created for intimacy. The Bible actually says that the gospel, which is the message of the glory of God calling men back, it says, into such things angels desire to seek. What does that mean? They don't understand it. They're like, what is this thing? What is this intimate thing that you got going on with these people? We don't understand it. What do I, I don't have any clue what this means. What's this all about? It even tells us that they were confused as to why the Lord came down. They, they didn't even understand. Why, why are you leaving your throne for these low beings? You know, they don't understand it because they were not created for intimacy. We were created for intimacy. It is the longing of all of our hearts. We're looking for intimacy. Can I get a witness? Yes, <laughs> we are. We're looking for love in all the wrong places, but nonetheless, we're looking for intimacy. It's intimacy with the Lord, and from that comes everything else. And so it uses the word Yahweh Adonai. And so the Lord is saying they hid themselves from my intimate presence. They didn't just hide themselves from his physical presence. They didn't just hide themselves from his spiritual presence. They hid themselves from his intimate presence. And here again, we come right up. We drive the car right up into the driveway of the modern church. We don't hide ourselves from his physical presence. Oh, we come and we, you know, we don't even hide ourselves from his so-called spiritual presence. But where we are hiding ourselves is in the levels of intimacy. And so what I want to have you to understand this morning is permission to be intimate with the Lord. You have permission. 
You can tell them your hurts, your pains, your frustrations, your anger, your bitterness. You can, you can say, Lord, I'm jacked up in this area and I don't know why. Why do I do the things I do over here? Why do I act like this? Why do I behave like this? What's wrong with me? What's right with me? Speak over me. Lord, I'm really upset. Where am I understanding? Because I am angry. That's intimacy. That's a marriage. <laughs> Hello. We have the permission to do that. So Adam, so God, the whole point was that Adam lost intimacy. Men hid themselves from the intimacy of God's presence. And the Lord never gives up on you. Aren't you glad? Man gave up on the Lord, but the Lord never gave up on Adam or the, the race of Adam. He never gave up. That's the point. So God was after, even after mankind rejected him, the Lord was going to find a way to restore intimacy back to him with his creation. So he chooses Abraham and begins to show his presence and create an intimate dialogue. Abraham was actually called the friend of God. You can believe that. Abraham, my friend. That had never been heard before. Moses, I speak to face to face. He's establishing a manner and a method by, to create intimacy back with man. So he uses Abraham, ultimately takes it out of Abraham, comes his son, Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob gives birth to 12 kids. Oh, well, that's theological. Just to, for, the, for the sake of argument, call 12. Because yeah, Joseph had two kids. So anyway, I, I have these little debates within my own mind while I'm talking. You should explain that Joseph had two sons. Anyway. <laughs> Through Jacob, he has 12 sons, which creates the nation of Israel. God takes this nation and reestablishes worship through these, with these people. Intimacy. Next slide, please. What he does is he has them uh, build a place of meeting, which is something you know, like Jesus is all about the place of meeting. You're here this morning. You're fulfilling the purposes of the Lord because he wants you to meet. He wants his people to come before him. And so he told the nation, build me a place of meeting. And from the place of meeting, I will give fire by night and a cloud by day. Well, what was the point of the fire by night and the cloud by day? So that the people would know that the Lord was with them. So when they woke up in the morning and went out to cook up their coffee or, you know, get their scrambled eggs or take the dog for a walk, they'd look up and see the fire going up into the sky from the place of meeting, and they would know the Lord is with us. They're getting ready to go to bed and tuck their kids in at night, whatever it is, and they'd look out and they would see, or fire at night, they would see the cloud during the day and they would see the fire at night. And they would know the Lord is with us. Because God was trying to uh, give a message to them and it's about the restoration of intimacy. Jesus is called Emmanuel. Anybody know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Not just God for us or God over there or the God above. He's with us. What is he saying? The intimate God became just like you and me. The sovereign God of the universe chose to become like a man, born of a virgin, fully deity, yet fully in humanity. And he chose to live as a man in the power of the Spirit, divine the whole way, yet not accessing his attributes of the Godhead, only allowing the Holy Spirit to be the leader. That's what he did to be intimate. We're created to live from his presence. People say it's about salvation. Yes, but what's the purpose of salvation? If you understand that salvation, the purpose of salvation is to restore you to intimacy, your life's going to change. We think that salvation is simply the removal of sin. Salvation is far more than just the removal of sin. And the reason that God is removing sin from your life is because sin is a barrier. Understand that? It's a barrier to what? Intimacy. 
And so Jesus, we come into salvation, and he removes the sin from our lives in order that we can have intimacy. So that's what it's all. It's always about that intimate relationship with him. And so the question is, is what is presence? If we're created for presence and we're created for intimacy or to know into me, you see. So that's what it means. The Lord is saying, when I say I want intimacy with you, I'm going to say, Lord, I want into me, you see. And then the Lord says, I want intimacy with you. He's saying, I want you to into me, you see. He wants us to know him at deep and profound levels. And he wants to know you at deep and profound levels. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. Right? That's the thing. Jesus can be known. That's the point. We don't serve a God that cannot be known. Well, God works in mysterious ways. Not according to the Bible. That God can be known. He said, Moses, they know my, they know my ways, but you know me. Big difference. I don't want to know the ways of the Lord. I want to know him. We can get his ways if we know him, right? So it's about intimacy. We understand that. So what does the word presence mean? What is it about? So intimacy from his presence, the restoration of his presence so that I can have intimacy. The Hebrew uses the word face, visage, or it's a P word, which I can't pronounce, but penem, penem, penem. I don't know. It sounds like, uh, you know, oh, there goes my watch. See, time's up, Kevin. (laughs) That's either an eternal word or my hand broke. Old watch. Anyway, so the, it uses the word penem. That sounds like, uh, what is that, mockingjay or something like that, penem. But anyway, there's a word in Hebrew that means face. And so what the Lord does is he shows us his face. So his presence is about his face. God wants us to know him. The Greek uses the word anopion, which means face, but it also means structure and image set before. Everybody say it with me. Set before in time. So here's a profound understanding, if you know anything about this God. This God of the eternal realm actually makes his presence available into time and space. I mean, just think about that. He makes himself available to you and me. He makes himself available to the world, an apion. But he, makes, he sets it before us. So the indication here is, Christian, is that while we have access to the presence of the Lord, it is set before us. So if you're really hungry... Right? And you just got a hankering for some Japanese or some Chinese food or something, right? And me and Jean just come and bring you whatever it is that you want, and you're hungry for it, and they put it on a table over there, and you're sitting here. What happens to happen in order for you to get the food? You got to get up out of the chair, right? You got to go to it, right? So you want to hang out with some friends, you know, and you're like, okay, well, KB's got this really cool place across town, and, uh, but I'm just going to sit here. In order for me to do where I want to be, I have to what? Get up. That's this idea of an apion. God sets his presence before us, but we must enter it. We get it? So Christians are waiting for God to do something by default. Oh, I just don't feel him. I just don't experience him. I just don't know him. An apion, his presence is before you. You must enter his presence. We get this? That's the idea. This is huge. Huge. This is what we do in church. Hey, I'm not feeling it. Not feeling it. Wasn't feeling to worship this morning. Pastor, man, he laid an egg. I wasn't feeling that either. You know, it's not feeling it. Nobody said hi to me. Not feeling it. Not feeling it. Not feeling it. Enter, Christian. You can carry a tune in a bucket. I heard a lady last night, and she couldn't sing worth beans, man. And uh, my wife's like, what are you listening to? And I was like, oh, I was, I was trying to get to something else. There was this guy talking about something, but they had a worship before, and the lady was like, 
not good. I mean, it was like, my cat was like looking at me like, what's wrong with that? What's, what is that sound, Kevin? You know? But you could still, wor- <laughs> you could still worship from, from that experience. I could still sense the presence of the Lord, even though it was coming through some squeaks and some squalls. And, you know, I could still sense the presence of the Lord. So I could still enter that, I could still enter his presence, even in that environment. You don't have to feel it. The spirit is here. You must enter him. You must open yourself to what it is. And up beyond, you have to get up and do it. It's set before you. Get up. Enter. No one's kind to me. Enter into it. Be kind to someone else. Enter. Got it? So the presence is about intimacy. So it's an opion. He sets his presence before us. We must enter his presence. Je- say this with me. Jesus is not just to be known of. He is to be known. People say, man, you guys talk like you know the Lord. We, we should. We should. If anybody on the planet knows who God is, the Christian should. If any of the, anybody on the planet knows who God is like according to his word and his spirit, we should. We should. I don't know of the Lord. I know him. I know him. So not just should Jesus not be known of, but he should be known. Say this with me. Jesus is not just to be observed, but to be experienced. And here again, we pull the driveway right up into the common church. You say, this is the thing. God is looking for an awakening within his church. And we have established fundamental failed principles within the church. According to the Bible, the church is the unstoppable force that changes culture. Read the book of Acts. Worlds were changed. Cities were changed. Not everybody liked the Christian. Not everybody liked Jesus. But you you didn't ignore the church. Culture was changed. Rome fell because the believer began to outnumber the pagan. Well, what were they doing that we're not? They, you know, I mean, what, there's certain things. They understood the presence and the purposes of God. When you read about what they, what they wrote about the early believer, you can't say anything but other than the fact that these people were walking in the Spirit. They sing songs. They're generous. They're kind. They do works of service. This is the Romans observing the Christian, going, I don't know why we hate these people. They don't do anything evil. You know, and it wasn't just social justice. There was a lot of spiritual interaction. There was a lot of spiritual transformation that was happening within the life of the church and within the life of the believer. And the world was changed because of them. We teach a gospel that tells us that Jesus cannot be experienced. You know? We teach a gospel that if you come into church and you feel this, well, whoa, wait a minute, what was that? You know, or I don't know if we should lift our hands, maybe I shouldn't, maybe, you know. Or what happens is if the spirit begins to move, we teach people to just set that off to the side because we don't want anything weird to happen. We don't want anything crazy to happen. That's what we do. We don't teach people the experiential power of the Lord. We barely pray for people. I do this little interlude of prayer, not because i got nothing better to do. I do it because I feel like the Lord has mandated it. Why has he mandated it? Because he loves his people. He wants to bless his people. What we do, we serve McDonald's. We serve fast food. We give you a happy meal and send you right out the door, crack on the rear end and say, come back next week. And then we wonder why the people are malnutritioned. We wonder why the people are just, they, they cannot produce the things that God wants them to produce. 
And it's because we're not taking the time. We charge the atmosphere with worship. And even now, this is the modern church. If we sing one worshipful worship songs, I go to churches and they sing about half a worship song. Halfway through this song, they're shifting to this song. They're shifting to this song. They're shifting to this song. Lights are rolling around everywhere. I, can't, I don't even know which one. Right about the time I'm entering into the spirit, boom, we shift the song. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't know if you do or not. That's just me. And I'm kind of like, we don't, we're not do. are we really, is this, you know, we wonder about, well, we don't want to offend the people. And the question is always, well, can we stop worrying about offending the people? Can we maybe concern ourselves with offending the Lord? Is this really what he wants? Is this what God wants? Does he want half tracks going through? Is that what he wants? He wants you to sing three quarters of the song, half the song, boom, do the next song, boom, do the next song. Just as soon as intimacy starts coming into the room, whoop, we back up, back up. Well, wait a second. Intimacy was just entering the room right? And we just shifted the whole service. And that's not honoring to the Lord. Because if we understand that God wants you to be intimate, we'll take a little longer with the worship. Because he wants you to be intimate. If we understand that's his intention, that's what he wants. It's not what I want. It's not what you want. It's what he wants. And he knows more. He knows what's best for you beyond even what you know. I had a person recently, oh man, you guys pray. I, I, look, I don't plan on praying for the sick, I just simply try to serve Jesus. And I had a guy tell me a couple weeks ago, he said, man, you guys just pray for the sick. He's like, I'm kind of like not into that. And I said, dude, if you were in that healing line, I said, you wouldn't be complaining. If you needed healing and you needed God to do something in your life, you wouldn't be complaining. You wouldn't be the one complaining, oh, you guys pray for people or, you know, you're taking too much time. I'm feeling uncomfortable. You know why people feel uncomfortable? particularly in that morning exchange, is because I'm calling you into intimacy. I'm calling you to release aspects of your heart to the Lord and allow him to minister back to you. That's intimacy. And when we start getting weird and start feeling uncomfortable about it, it's because we're struggling with intimacy. And so we should ask ourselves, why am I struggling here to be intimate with the Lord? What is my struggle? Because ultimately, that's what he wants. He wants intimacy. Your job, my job, is to give Jesus what he paid for and to give him what he wants. Real simple. And if Jesus wants intimacy, well, then we better figure out how to bring him intimacy. If Jesus wants to minister into our lives, well, then we better figure out a way to allow him to minister into our lives. That's just the, really, that's just the reality of it. Because that's who we are as believers. This is who we are at the core. We give Jesus what we want. The word for servant is the word doulos, which means bond slave, but it's also the word diakonos. Diakonos is where we get the word deacon. And what the word diakonos means is simply table waiter. So as a servant of Jesus, I'm a bond servant. In other words, whatever you say, Lord, I serve. Doesn't, we're not talking about sons and daughters. We're talking about the base level of who we are. The high level of who we are is sons and daughters. But we, often, but we, we can only operate at the high level if we understand the foundation that we're servants. We're doulos and diakonos. That's who we are. And from that, we can be sons and daughters. We cannot be a son and a daughter if we don't understand that we do what our Father says. Right? And then the second thing is we're not only bond servants, which basically means whatever he says we do, right? Like Jesus told, Mary told the servants at the wedding feast. She said, you want transformation? Whatever he tells you to do, just do whatever he tells you to do. That's doulos. Diakonos means we're table waiters. In other words, Lord, what would you like to order this morning? What would you like? Well, Kevin, I'd like some intimacy with my people. There's some people here that are really struggling with this. And I'd like some intimacy with the people. Right away, go into the kitchen, 
we, the Lord is ordering this because I am a diakonos. You are a diakonos. What is the Lord ordering? What is he calling for? Table waiter, right? You go to KB's, you order a hamburger, and he brings you a chicken sandwich. You're going to go, wait a minute, I didn't order this, right? I, I'm not eating it. I'm not paying for it, you know? In fact, I don't know if I'm ever going to come back here again because you, didn't, you, didn't, you gave me a chicken sandwich when I ordered a hamburger. The Lord comes to our table, and he, we sit down, and we wait upon him, and we give him what he's ordering. And you know what he does? He pays for it and gives you a tip. That's Jesus, man. And nobody tips like Jesus. Nobody tips. Nobody. Come on. It's true. What is he ordering? What is he asking for? And it comes through that understanding of intimacy, but he's not just to be known, he's to be experienced. And we give the Lord what he wants. What he wants. That's the point. And that starts with the believer, and it arcs out into the church itself. The church, has, the church of the United States and of the Western world has got to reorient its purposes back to what Jesus wants. And you know what the problem is? Most of the time, we don't know. So what we do in churches, this is, I'll give you the church world. And I don't know why I'm saying this, because maybe I'm just prophetically declaring it. Maybe I'm just calling for it. I don't know. But what we do is we survey the congregation. So we take a survey. How do you like the temperature? Is the temperature good for you this morning? Were the chairs comfortable enough? Did the pastor's hair bother you at all? Were the songs too long? I mean, that's what we do. And while some of that is good, because it helps tailor the church into a better place, what we're doing is we're running the entire church based upon the opinions of people. And that creates a tremendous problem. And what does it produce? It produces neutered sheep who cannot reproduce. Just let that marinate. Most church church growth in America is through transference. It's not through evangelism. That's the 21st century church. That wasn't the church of the 80s. It began to be the church of the 90s, but it most definitely is the church of the the 21st century. Evangelism is essentially non-existent because we have produced a neutered sheep who cannot reproduce. So what would happen if we started giving Jesus what he wanted? What would happen if we started letting people experience the love of God and and people go, man, I do not know. You got to come with me. I, I can't get enough of this. I need more of this. I hunger for his presence like a deer. I jones for the presence of the Lord. Like the deer panting for the water. You need to come with me. Girl, you got problems in your marriage? You need to get to church. You know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know God's going to do something. I mean, that's how we produce. But if it doesn't mean anything, a bunch of neutered sheep running around, right? Anyway, I'll just release that out. <laughs> we just let that be prophetically known into the universe. I'll just share with you a side story with me. I'm not, I don't do this job because it was my life's ambition. I do this job because he told me to do it. And so he told me to do it. The first thing I recognize is I don't know what I'm doing. That's article one. And so I press into a relationship with him to find out through intimacy, I don't know what I'm doing, Lord. And I gave him all my complaints. I gave him all of my nonsense. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that, I'm not doing this, and I'm not doing that. And Jesus goes, wonderful! Now we can do it a different way. 
I didn't want to do it the ways that I'd seen. I didn't want to be a part of something that I'd already seen. You know, it's just things that I didn't want in the past. I didn't want it to be about vanity. I didn't want it to be about emptiness. I didn't want it to be about a cult of personalities, you know, with a pastor signing autographs at the door. Honor's one thing, celebrity's another. You can honor the shepherd, you can honor the pastor, you can honor the leader. There's nothing wrong with honor. I, 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 I encourage honor. I encourage blessing. But we're not, we're not, we're, there's one rock star, his name's Jesus, right? And if I'm not doing that and I'm not glorifying him, then I, let's go fishing. Let's go do something else. But it's all about him. And you know what happens when you're asking it all about him? You know what he tells me? It's all about you. He loves you. And he is calling you towards him. Towards him. That's what he wants. He wants intimacy. So Jesus isn't to be observed, but to be experienced. Next slide, please. There's three dimensions of the presence. This is important, okay? Because if you can understand this, then you can understand how this whole thing works. You can understand how the spirit works, and you can understand how your purpose works, and you can understand how, how, what God is doing in relationship to his presence. This is very important. The first, let's say this with me. There's three, spirits, three aspects of God's presence. You're going to say it with me. Say, abiding presence, indwelling presence, and manifest presence. What is the abiding presence? The abiding presence is the atmosphere. It's that, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. The abiding presence is with you, no matter whether you want, you, sometimes we don't recognize or we forget, to, we forget that the Lord's with us. His presence abides with us everywhere we go for a purpose. We come into church, we worship the Lord. His presence is abiding in this room right now, right? We have to enter that. So we have the abiding presence of God. God's presence is abiding in the world even today, waiting for someone to partner with him to enact his purposes. His abiding presence. We have the abiding presence of the Lord. Then we have his indwelling presence. His indwelling presence is what is given to us when we give our lives to Christ. Jesus said the Spirit is with you, abiding. He will be in you. It's the Greek word en, and it simply means inside of you. This is what it means to be born again. Nobody gets this except the Christian. The world doesn't get the indwelling presence of the Lord. So you have a purpose and a power within you that no one else has. It's given to you by faith in Christ, the indwelling presence. So we have the, we have the abiding presence of the Lord. He gives us the indwelling presence of the Lord. And we have the manifest presence of the Lord. What is the manifest presence? The manifest presence is when the Lord is made known. That's what manifest means, made known. And how is he made known? Well, this is what happens. The idea looks like this. Christian has the indwelling presence. Atmosphere or the, the abiding presence. What happens is we honor the abiding presence. We enter the abiding presence. And what happens? The abiding presence sets on fire the indwelling presence. Something happens in you when you enter into the abiding presence. Can I get a witness? Right? When you're worshiping the Lord and you're worshiping and you, and you enter in and you just begin to allow that to move, power begins to move inside of you. Your spirit comes alive, energized, on fire, however you want to put it, but that's the point. Do we get this? So the abiding presence is to ignite the indwelling presence. We enter the abiding presence. Lord, be with me now. Holy Spirit, I need you. You can sense his abiding presence. You enter into his abiding presence and just enter into that atmosphere, and he's changing you, and he's moving inside of you now. We got it? 
You guys are looking at me like weird. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know when you worship and you feel alive? Yeah. You're like, bam, what was that? I don't know. I just, I, man, dude, I'm like, I'm on it today. That's because you're connecting with the abiding presence. So the abiding presence is to set on fire the indwelling presence. You've got to understand this. So what we do in churches is we let the Spirit of God moves because he inhabits the praises of his people. And here's how we do it. Abiding presence starts moving, and we start... And rather than entering it, we're like, whoa, what is that? No, no. You get it? So what will we do? Or the abiding presence comes. The abiding presence starts to move. He starts setting on fire the indwelling presence. Revelation starts happening. Wisdom starts happening. You start having insights and ideas into things. And what we do is we go, oh, what is that? Oh, I don't know. I'll put that over here. That doesn't make any sense to me. So I'll just put it over here. We don't teach people to partner with the presence when he's present. When the abiding presence is moving and you're connecting and he's available at 24-7 and you're ignited in the indwelling presence, the partnership is let him do what he does. You know, let him do. Man, you feel the spirit moving through you, let him move, man. You feel him giving you ideas and insights and revelation in the spirit because he's igniting you, let him do it. This is part of it. So we have to understand the dimensions into which we are called we are made for the presence. We are created to live in and from the presence. But if we don't get this, we're not going to get any of it. Because what we do is we treat these words like they're poems. We just let it roll off our tongue. Oh, abide in me and as, you know, let, abide in me, let my word abide in you. And abide in me is let my word abide in you and you'll go forth and you'll bear much fruit. And we just say it like we're, you know, like as Longfellow, man. I mean, that's what we do. Like we're, we're quoting some poem. Woo, a little poem. They're not poems, they're realities. They're not poems, they're experiences. Jesus is calling for something from that. What does it mean to abide? It means to live in. It means to enter into me. Okay, there's that Greek word again. He sets it before us. We have to enter into the Lord. You can enter into the Lord wherever you are. You can enter into the Lord because he's abiding presence. Christian, you have the abiding presence and you have the indwelling presence. So here's what it looks like, okay? Going to work, going to be a really bad day. Get in there, something happens, you get offended, you want to like freak out and say something. On your better days, you are restrained, and so you just go, you say, Holy Spirit, I need you now. And you begin to sense the Spirit coming, and as, you, as the Spirit comes, because he always does, all you got to do is invite him, Holy Spirit, come, I need you now, and just let his peace come, let his peace settle, enter into his peace, let him step in, don't stand back and observe, oh wow, the Spirit of God is here now, woo. Isn't that wonderful? Look at the Holy Spirit now. Enter in. Let his peace fill you. Get the mind of the Lord and go forth from there. You understand that? So you're in there. You want to like blast somebody and you know you shouldn't. Anybody with me? Right? And you want to control yourself. And so you enter into the Spirit of God. You let his peace fill you. You get the mind of the Lord. And then you go back with restrained attitude or restrained actions. Oftentimes, here's what it looks like in marriage. You guys want to kill each other. Everybody, you know, polecats diving off at each other, you know, you know, mauling each other. So what do I do? Okay, okay, and get in the spirit. What do you want? I want you to be kind. I want you to be loving. I want you to be sincere. I want you to forgive. I want you to, to say I'm sorry. You want, I want you to do all that. That's from the spirit. You get it? So we move from the flesh. Is, is, am I making sense? Yeah. Is it, okay, all right, cool. So we have the abiding presence from the indwelling presence in order to produce the manifest presence. So when the Spirit of God is here, he's supposed to do something. What the Christian needs to come to the place as is when we have manifest presence, or we have abiding presence, indwelling presence, moving in the room, and nothing happens, there's a problem. 
We look at something happening and we go, wow, that's out of the ordinary. What should be out of the ordinary for the Christian is when nothing happens. You come to church and the abiding presence and then you enter into the spirit. There should be revelation. There should be understanding. There should be love. There should be forgiveness. And if you want to go deeper, there should be prophetic word. There should be all of these things should be present. Because when Jesus shows up, he wants to do something. And we have neutered the church. And we have neutered the power of God within his own house. Huh? How would you like it if nobody lets you into your own house? How would you like it if you wanted to come in and you wanted to, you know, do something and nobody would let you do it? No, 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 you can go stand on a curb. But wait a second, I own this place. You know? This is what we do. And so people come to church and they think, oh my gosh, it was a prophetic word. Wow, that was unusual. Well, there should be a prophetic word. Oh, wow, I got revelation today. Well, that shouldn't be unusual. That should be usual, right? So we release and we don't allow the encounter to happen. Now, there's a, a balance to the encounter. There's an order to the encounter. And that's a whole other story. But something should happen. The presence, manifest presence, is when the Lord is made known for all to see. Next slide. Love's in your heart. You, something should happen. You're worshiping God and love's moving in your heart. You're blessing people because you're in the spirit and God is manifesting his presence through love to you, to others, through you. And I'm not talking about this sloppy human love. I'm talking about the divine love. But in the spirit, you're just like, whoa, man, I just love you. Just forgive you. You know, you know what I'm talking about? When you're from that place, that's how people encounter the spirit of God. That is the power of God manifesting through your life. So we enter into his abiding presence. The indwelling presence brings to life, the, the, the abiding presence brings to life the indwelling presence in order to bring the presence forward. Love, speak life, encouragement, blessing, others. This is what creates an encounter with God, right? Having a bad day, somebody's really getting on your nerves. You worship, you're in the spirit, you're able to bless people when ordinarily you would just beat them up, you know what I mean? Or, or verbally beat them up, you know what I'm talking about? And you bless people. They have an encounter with God. You go and say, man, I just want to tell you, you're doing a really good job today. I just want to encourage you this morning. Whatever it looks like, those are simple forms of manifesting the Spirit of God. And people just had an encounter with the love of God. You know what I'm talking about? This is what we are. This is our destiny in the presence, from the presence. That's who we are. So here it is. So we speak life, we speak encouragement, we bless others. This creates an opportunity for people to encounter the love of God and the presence of God through our own lives. If you want to go advanced, what it looks like in the Spirit, we get in the Spirit, we allow the Holy Spirit to ignite the indwelling, and we have words of wisdom, we have words of knowledge, we have revelation insights, we have prophetic decrees or declaration, deliverance, things are being broken off your life and you don't even know why. God is showing you insights as to why you've been kept in bondage for so long. Healing happens within the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord reveals the, reveals the voice of the Lord. It's the manifest presence. So we have to understand abiding, indwelling, and manifest. We get this? So in churches, and when you're there, you should be expecting something to happen. Something should be happening in your life. Something should be happening in the atmosphere. Something should be happening in the world around you. The presence of the Lord is intended to create a response. So when we're worshiping God, there is an intended response. The Spirit of God is upon you. You should have joy while you're worshiping, when you're, when you're encountering His Spirit. There should be joy. You should have peace. It's intended to create a response. There should be singing. There should be down dancing. There should be shouting. There should be praising. There should be blessing. There should be generosity. All of those things are in the Bible. Right? We shouldn't be freaked out because somebody's dancing. 
or somebody's praising or somebody's crying or somebody's singing a little loud or somebody's dancing a little crazy. We shouldn't be offended at that because if it's sincere, there's our word sincerity, if it's sincere and in the spirit, it's the response. God is looking for a response. And I tell people, I'm like, man, you, you know, it's like, it's like even if you can just give a little move like this, you know what I'm saying? You Latins, you guys know how to do this. Right? You know how to do that? Victor taught me how to salsa. And you know what he told me? He said, Kevin, Latin dancing's easy. He said, all it is is marching. I was like, wow, I can Latin dance. He's like, it's marching. I was like, ah, oh, I get it now. With a little hip swivel in there somewhere. I ain't got that down yet, but anyway. We should respond. It's created, intended to create a response from our side and from His. Understand? So when we're encountering the Lord, there's a response from our side and a response from His side. What is He responding with? Love, peace, joy, understanding, gifts. All of those things, they're called gifts. They're not called burdens. They're not called weirdnesses. They're called gifts. And so Jesus brings forth gifts. A response from our side and from his. So there should be a response. And we should respond. Right? And we, again, what we've done is it's a cultural thing. This, again, is the culture of heaven. There's a freedom in the culture of heaven. There's singing in the culture of heaven. The Bible actually tells us that Jesus dances and sings. He leaps from his throne and twirls in the air. What does that look like? I don't know. But he leaps from his throne and he twirls in the air. And it says he sings over you. Jesus is singing over you. And what is he singing? Songs of victory and deliverance. My child goes free. There's no weapon formed against him. It is prospering. Woo! I love myself. Boom! Spins in the air. Bam! And the angels are like, yeah. Oonce, 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 oonce. Get it, Jesus. Oonce, oonce. <laughs> Not us, man. Our Western culture. It's like a mausoleum. Oh. Crazy, man. Neutered it. Completely neutered it. When you look at what the gospel calls for and what we actually present him, I'm like, I'd send it back. I'm like, I'm not ordering that. And that's not what I ordered. And we wonder why he hasn't moving. Because he didn't order it. He's not eating what we're offering him because he didn't order it. Give him what we order, man. Let him have it. Lord, we just love you this morning. Let's bless you. Just enter into your presence, God, whatever you want. God, I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm yours. God, Jesus, I just bless you. Let the love of God move in you and begin to respond from it. Bless people. Pray for people. Encourage people. Because the Spirit is intended to create a response. And we come to church and we think it's all about us. Well, sometimes it is about you. The Lord's ministering to you. But other times, man, you're just charged. And you just find somebody, man, I just want, you just find somebody to love. You just find somebody to encourage. You just find somebody, man, I just feel generous. I just want to, I just want to do it. It's intended to create a response. And we have to give ourselves permission to respond. Because we restrain ourselves from responding. Right? Jesus, David danced in his underwear. Right? I mean, what does that look like? He was in the spirit. Right? We judge ourselves based upon things we do in the spirit. We say something, we do something, we act something. This is my Monday morning, by the way. I'm always like, what did I say? I did what? You know, I moved across the stage that way. I actually was doing this. What the heck was I doing? 
It's in the spirit. There's a freedom. There's a liberty, right? And we judge ourselves by what we do in the spirit. We are free in the spirit. David danced in his underwear. I'm not encouraging dancing in the underwear, but the idea was it was before the Lord. So I told him, it's like, what, y'all, a hippie church? Y'all dancing in your underwear, man. I don't know about that. You know, I don't know about that. It's a little weird for me. But David danced in his underwear, and he was corrected. And she's, oh, how you were undone. Oh, how you look, look how you looked foolish before the people. And David was like, it was not before the people. It was before the Lord. And the Lord accepts it. We understand. You got little kids, right? Little kid comes and dances in the room. Can your kid dance? No. Who are you kidding? Well, to you, they can dance. They're falling on the table. They're twirling, making themselves dizzy, falling down, right? But you think it's beautiful, and you think it's amazing. They come and sing you a song. They forget the words to the song. They're squeaking when they're singing. But you think it's amazing. So does your father. They bring you a paper, and it's a bunch of coloring. It looks like a bunch of just like somebody melted crayons on the paper. And people are like, what is this? This is garbage. No, 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 no. That's my baby's masterpiece. My baby's going to be a Picasso, right? We love the expressions. Jesus loves the same. It's not about the perfection of our expression. It's about the intent and the sincerity of the expression. He wants the expression. He likes a response. He likes it. Read your Bible, man. Shout to the Lord. Sing, dance, praise, get an instrument, you know, play the spoons. You know, whatever. He's calling for worship. He's calling for an unresponse. Last slide. Here it is. For in him we live and move and have our being. So if we understand we're created for the presence, to live from the presence, that's what we understand. And here's what the Bible says. In him we live, move, and have our being. So the question is, where is life? It tells you in the verse. This isn't a trick question. Life is in him, right? Where's movement? Movement is in him. Where is our sense of being? Our sense of being is in him. So here's the question. When you are, as a Christian, and you will have many of these moments because you're human, are not experiencing life, that is an indicator for you to get in the spirit. That is an indicator for you to, because in him I live. I am never alive unless I'm in his presence. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're in his presence and you're alive. You're like, wow, why can't this end? Somebody needs to put this in a bottle and, and we need to carry this around with us, you know, because in him we live. So if we have no life, we need to get in him. If there's no movement in your life, well, according to that verse, in him we move. What's not moving, right? You have no direction. You have no purpose. You have no value. What's in him you move. You get into his presence and you allow him to give you the wisdom. You begin to relate to him in intimacy and let him show you the movement that is necessary in the spirit. We have, no, we, we have our being. That's, again, the idea is the sense of purpose. Who am I? What am I? What in the world am I doing with myself? What's it all mean? And that all comes from the Spirit. So if that's the, that's the idea, then we need to get in the Spirit. You see how important this idea is? This is critical. This, is, this comes down, you know, down to the very essence of your faith. This is, really comes right down to the substance, this idea here, this concept that the Bible gives us. Lastly, right here, culture of His presence. What happens? How do we do this? It begins with an awareness. You have to be aware of the abiding presence. You have to be aware of the indwelling presence, but you also have to be aware of the abiding presence. David says this, I have set the Lord before me always. In other words, I will intentionally be aware of the presence of God that is with me. It's an intention. Most of us, we don't pay mind until it's like Saturday night. Oh my gosh, I got church tomorrow. 
well, I guess I better think about Jesus today, you know, or, or something like that. We have to be aware of his presence with us. We have to honor that presence, welcome his presence into these spheres of our life. That's called hosting, our intention with honor. So we become aware, we welcome the Lord into our environments, being aware that he's with us, welcoming him, honoring him, hosting his presence, which simply means inviting him. Invite him, Holy Spirit, we need you today. Lord, I need you today. I need you today. Let his presence come. And we create the atmosphere, and then we walk, but we have to enter the atmosphere in order for it to change us. We activate his presence. That's the idea. So we become aware of his presence. We host his presence just by simply telling him he's welcome. Do you know that Jesus does not go where he's not invited? Read your Bible. He does what he doesn't even do what he's not asked. He walked through towns and walked past people and didn't do anything unless they invited him. They wouldn't even let him do miracles in his own hometown because they didn't want him there. He does not do what he has not asked, and he does not abide where he is not invited. Now he stands and waits for you to invite. When we invite him, we have to invite the Lord. And then from his presence, we invite him. Lord, I just invite you. Let his spirit come, come into his presence, and then activate from his spirit with simplicity and direct action. Begin to love from his spirit. Begin to do something. So when the spirit of God's moving in you and you enter his spirit, it's intended for something, right? I feel like the Lord told me this. I'm not energizing you with power for no purpose, Kevin. There has to be a release of that power that's within you. Now that that releases to heaven, releases to earth. I mean, I pray, sometimes I pray it over my son. My son knows this now. Like, I'll just come and lay his hands on him, my hands on him. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, I feel the power. I feel the Holy Spirit. And I'm just, I'm just releasing. I'm releasing the power through my life into him. I'm releasing the power of the Spirit. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just releasing. He'll be like, okay, just let me know when you're done. You know, he's kind of like that. You know, but he knows that now. But the power is intended for something. So when you're feeling that, you have to find a place. And even if it's through prayer, through declaration, exousia, if it's through praying for others, if it's through love, it's through generosity, that power is intended to be used. And we create a circle that, what, that, where that power is not released. And so again, we have Christians that worship, and all the power does is continue to move around, move around, move around, move around, but it's not actually intended for something. It isn't released. It isn't taken down the lane. All right? So there we are. My, my watch flew off, see? See, the Lord's telling me, preach the eternal gospel. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the gospel that never ends. So this is the idea. So the main point of this is to understand abiding presence, indwelling presence, and to understand manifest presence, to understand that you were created for his presence. It goes all the way back to Adam. You can't get any further. God created Adam for that intended purpose. And so our original design is that, and it's the same through Christ. Abiding presence, indwelling presence, manifest presence. This is who I am. You have to believe that. That's not for your neighbor. It's for you. It's for you. And you're going to get better at it through practice. Everybody say that with me. I'll get better through practice. I may not know what I'm doing, but I'm going to get better. That's it. You have to practice it. It's actually, there's a, a phrase that, they, that oftentimes is used. It's called practicing the presence. We just practice. We practice. Isn't that what doctors do on you? They practice. In case you don't know that, doctors don't know what they're doing. They don't. It's so true. That's why they prescribe you five drugs at the same time. Do you know why? Because they're trying to see which one will work. Because they don't know. I'm not nothing against doctors. So we have to practice and push out and understand these things. All right, let me bless you. 
you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, I want you to know how much he genuinely loves you. And I want you to hear the heart behind this message to understand what he wants and what you were created for is intimacy with him. And the Bible says that if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he was risen from the dead, that you'll be saved. You say, that doesn't make any sense. Well, it probably won't for a long time, but you can still believe it. Belief and understanding are two different worlds. So what the Bible asks us to do is believe, open our hearts and receive. Believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. So we're going to close with two prayers. One, this prayer of invitation. And lastly, a prayer of blessing. And then we'll dismiss. And if you're here this morning, you've never given your heart to Jesus. All you have to do is open your heart. The church is going to pray with us. We're going to pray together. And the Lord is going to meet you right where you are. And he's going to do the very thing that you're asking him to do. Let's just pray together. Just say, dear Jesus. Come on, we can do better. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. Though I may not understand it, I choose to believe it. And I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. In all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. Amen. And let me bless you one more time. Just receive it. Such a beautiful thing, you know, just we're a little intimate here today because we're talking about intimacy, so I'll give you the intimacy. God told Aaron, when you, when you dismiss the people, you say these things over them. And so if you never knew why we say this at the end, it's because God told Aaron, that for, you know, it's not mandated, but I just think it's really cool because God wants to bless the people. And so it's called the Aaronic, the Aaronic blessing. This is what it is, and you hear me say it often. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And may he be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live in his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. We got Hank over there. You, what are you doing? Prophesying? Praying. Praying. We have a prayer team. You need prayer. Uh, Bible school is going to start. All that other good stuff. But we love you. God loves you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.